to tell everybody who you are. Yeah, um, I'm Drew Proctor. I have been doing Democratic campaigns in one form or another for almost 10 years now. I started like a lot of of my quote unquote generation of political operatives um, as an Obama kid. really inspired by Obama's run in 2008. It was the first time I realized that working on a campaign was a job and it was something people did and there were stuff to do. Um, and so I started organizing at the local level. Um, and since then I've worked in uh, six different states on countless campaigns uh, and currently live in Washington, D.C. working on a uh, down-ballot races for, for Democrats. In other words, you know lots of things about the Democratic Party. Theoretically. It's, it is a very nebulous, amorphous <laughs> club. That's always like one of the things I think is really interesting when people talk about the Democratic Party um, is it, everyone talks about it and it's just like, oh no, the DNC has this like stranglehold on stuff and it's like, I don't actually work for the DNC, I've never worked for the DNC, and they have little effect on like what I do actually on a regular basis. Um, and so it's just like, it's, it's a lot of different, um, institutions that are in play when yeah. we're talking about the Democratic Party, but people think all political parties are just kind of this top down, yeah, top down thing. And it's like, that is 100% never the case. Um, as is often the case in the world, it's a lot more complicated than nuance than that, so. Welcome to Religionish. I'm your host, Ashley Campbell. As you just heard, in this episode, we're talking to Drew Proctor, a longtime Democratic campaign worker. Drew and I met years ago and quickly discovered a common interest, the intersection of religion and politics. We spent countless hours discussing spirituality, policy, and political strategy. We recently virtually met up during social distancing to discuss religion and the Democratic Party. Back when the Democratic primary was in full swing, various news sources published articles questioning whether or not the Democratic Party had a religion problem. This question kicked off Drew's and my conversation. But first, are you a religion nerd on this topic just like us? If so, we'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. You can reach out to the show at Religionish on Twitter or just search Religionish Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. So I'm first off, like I think it's really interesting that this campaign has kind of brought back to the forefront this question of does the Democratic Party have a religion problem? Mm-hmm. And so I just kind of want to put pose to you: Do you think, or do you agree with all the headlines that say the Democratic Party has a religion problem? I think when those headlines are thrown out there and discussed is very much in the paradigm of Democrats appealing to conservative white voters who go to an evangelical church. It's a very, very specific, not only is it a very, very specific set of Christianity, it's a very, very specific sect Mm -hmm. of religion. Um, Like you're, you're taking a type of religion and going down to a minute like section of it. Um, and so it doesn't really like actually take into account the diversity of religion um, and just also the spiritual beliefs that are on the democratic side. And so every time I see this, it's like 
every, every time I see those headlines, they strike me more as, do Democrats have a problem with conservative fundamental, fundamentalist evangelicals who have been working on this tour since the 1980s? Yeah. Not a little bit before. Which, of course, the answer is yes, of course they do. Because, like, that is not who... The, the, those people don't vote for them. It's not anyway. their voting base. <laughs> like, yeah. That's, that's never their core base. So they're like, that's not their core. Um, and that was something I really found in the Democratic Party is there is a rich culture of different religious and spiritual beliefs. And everyone's working towards the same goal of making making the world a better place, and this is the avenue which we have chosen to go in. And I mean, I totally agree with your assessment that you just explained, but I would also say, like, I think, and to do exactly what you just mentioned uh, about talking about the DNC, and I don't know if I would even say just the DNC, but however you want to qualify the idea of party leadership, mm-hmm. which I would say does not just limit itself to the DNC. Yeah. But... I would say that there's also a question of, like, the problem in my mind, if we were going to say there is a problem, is not so much about communicating to a specific sect of white Christian voters as much as it is how do you talk about religion when the majority of your candidates are white and Christian, but your voting base is a plurality of religions and cultures and racial identities. And I think that's something that um, that goes beyond the religion context, and that goes to a something that has been a focus of a lot of different organizations, um, especially over the past few cycles, is how do we promote diversity in the ranks of candidates that we recruit? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times I think these conversations get set by who runs for president or who runs for some very, like, who runs for the specific, very cool national offices? Um, and it doesn't necessarily take into account who, who are the folks running on the local level, who are the folks running, like, you know, not even just for Congress, but who's running for state ledge, like, who's running for state senate, state house, who's running for those county offices? Those, um, those, those down ballot. <laughs> yeah, like, down ballot races, which I care so much about. And I think that's where you see um, a lot more diversity and the building of, of where they get started a lot around is like the building of the pipeline mm-hmm. uh, and those folks to like uh, get them involved in local politics, get them involved in something that um, they can have incredible influence and, and matters, but then also like those are the folks that eventually run for those higher offices where we, de- where we define this conversation and like by no means anywhere is it perfect. Um, but I, I, and I do think like there is, there is a challenge of, when the top of when we started with an incredibly diverse field of people yeah uh, and like now it's, we're down to you know two old white men who but you know i i think i think like do have like in, like do bring specific things to the table that are interesting and compelling but also it's like how are we just being reflective of the communities we actually have and i think yeah. that just goes beyond specifically how we're talking about religion it's how we're talking about what happens in people's daily lives well well, and I was going to say, and I think that's where the question of does the Democratic Party have, like, a religion problem actually needs to be discussed. It doesn't need to be discussed just as religion, as religion. It needs to be examined in terms of, 
like smaller down ballot elections and rep- thinking about representation because yes, I mean, on the one hand, you have a diversity in local elections because they are going to be more sometimes, not always, sometimes representative of the actual constituents that you live amongst sometimes. <laughs> but I mean, I, I also just think about too, about the 2016 convention and how overtly patriotic and religiously patriotic it kind of felt and how that kind of revealed, at least it said to me that the grassroots and the voters themselves wanted more religion in the public democratic national level rhetoric, but they weren't getting it. And then that's why I think even though, you know, I'm right there with you of like, we had such a diverse field and now we've narrowed it down to two older white men. But at the same time, it's two older white men with very interesting religion identities, religious identities that aren't the norm you would really see for a white, older male Democratic candidate. In this rewind, I quickly want to outline the history of Catholic and Jewish candidates for president. We're all familiar with the religion groundbreaking presidency of John F. Kennedy. He was the first Catholic president. He and his campaign spent a good deal of time convincing the electorate that he wouldn't answer to the Pope instead of the people. Many may no longer fully recognize the significance of electing a Catholic to president, but anti-Papist sentiment still lingered across the nation in the 1960s. Prior to Kennedy, Al Smith in 1928 was the first Catholic to win a presidential candidacy with a major party. This makes Joe Biden's assumptive nomination as the Democratic candidate all the more significant. He's one of a small handful of Catholics to receive the presidential candidacy from a major party. You can check out the show notes at religionish.com for a complete list. Anti-Catholic rhetoric hit the public sphere in full force in the 1800s as Irish, Italian, and German Catholic immigration increased significantly. Not to go too deep a dive into this history rewind, but animosity against Catholics led to discrimination, of course, but it also led to Supreme Court cases about religion and public education, a vast catalog of political cartoons negatively portraying Catholics, and a short-lived political party committed to anti-Papist stances. They were called the Know-Nothings. You can check out the show notes for more information about that party and some of these other historical contexts that I've mentioned. Jewish candidates for president are even rarer than Catholics. Barry Goldwater won the Republican candidacy in 1964. However, Goldwater was raised Protestant and had Jewish ancestry through his father. For those of you who don't know, Judaism privileges the matrilineal line. Then, the next time a Jewish politician came close to the White House was in 2000, when Joe Lieberman was nominated for the vice presidency. It took another 16 years for there to be a Jewish politician to come even close to just getting nominated as a candidate. Bernie Sanders' 2016 win in New Hampshire made him the first Jewish American to win a presidential primary. And yet, we still not had a Jewish candidate for president of the United States. I think the rarity of Jewish politicians running for the highest office in the country should make us also think more about the recent anti-Semitic violence that has happened in the United States. 
I don't think I have to go into the history of anti-Semitism in the United States and the world more widely, but I do think it's important for us to recognize how prevalent anti-Semitic thought still is in this country and how far we have to go to have a very welcoming and inclusive country. We still have a lot of work to do to not only make the presidency racially and gender inclusive, but also religiously representative of the diverse beliefs in the United States. I do think that's interesting. And I think one of the things I noticed at the local level um, is the way we talk about things there is more aspirational. Um, I don't want to say like overtly religious or overtly spiritual, um, but that is where like a lot, a lot of the conversation turns to like doing what's better for the community, doing like, you know, working towards the collective good, mm-hmm. and you and you do see um, a lot of that religious language come up. And I and I think that's like a really interesting point about the twenty sixteen is like people are looking for that kind of like that religious language. But I and I wonder this, and I wonder this as someone like you know, as you mentioned at the top, like who grew up in a who grew up in a church uh, whose dad was a pastor, whose dad was an elder. And sometimes I wonder like when we're talking about that religious language is like, are we actually talking about language that encourages us to reach beyond ourselves and be connected to our greater community than just specific languages about God, uh, Jesus, or like specific dogma. Like, not you know, not like, like the political God talk. We're not talking about political God talk that yeah. all parties do. But I mean, I agree with you, but I also like, I think about too. So, um, it was doing an interview the other day, and we, we started talking about whether interfaith activity, if it becomes more explicitly religious, is going to ostracize the nuns, the unaffiliated. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's maybe one of the questions, too, that comes up when you think about democratic politics because of the growing population that identifies as unaffiliated but i don't know as somebody who identifies as that way yeah religious language is not off-putting to me and i and i also agree that the the language that you most often see when it's kind of at a local level or even in interfaith context which is what you could kind of think of as a democratic party aspiring to is not necessarily like Oh, Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, only, you know, only thing that you can believe in. It's more of that humanistic, like, let's connect over our common humanity, the common good kind of language that you were also talking about. Yeah. Um, I think, like, that is something that's really interesting to me is that, um, when, when I personally see, like, interfaith activity happening, even though I have I, I have gravitated more towards that unaffiliated nun category is, that still, like, gives me hope. And, it, like, it's so cool to see, and it's amazing to, like, listen to those conversations of people finding kind of that common ground despite different beliefs because they do believe, like, at the end of the day, like, um, like one of my favorite quotes who I cannot remember who this is from. Um, so if any of your listeners remember, 
would be fantastic, uh, is there was a, there was a Marxist atheist philosopher meeting with a group of uh, kind of liberal Christians. Um, and I know this quote, I know this story originates from Peter Rollins, who is a Christian philosopher. Um, but he was having, he was talking with this guy and they were having a conversation about um, just, does God exist? Does God not exist? And just like the implications of that. And uh, Peter Rollins' guest was like, hey, you know, I think these conversations are really interesting, but I, what I really want to do is I want to create a space where we can actually have these conversations without having to worry about if people are going hungry, if people are being incarcerated unfairly, yeah. and let's go create that world, and then let's have the conversation about whether or not God exists. Yeah, definitely. That's what I find so interesting about those interfaith conversations is, like, you're, you're putting away your differences of, like, what God does, you know, does, is, does God even exist? And just like focusing on like, what are the values you're actually trying to live? Mm -hmm. uh, and I think with the unaffiliated of the nuns is for me specifically is like, one of the concerns I've always had, uh, being somebody who works in politics and is also grew up religious, uh, and still tries to like kind of live kind of the, some sort of spirituality somehow is, is like when you're talking about religion, you're taking what is your, your, you know, whatever your, your feelings on faith, whatever your feelings on ethics and your feelings, a whole bunch of things. And you're putting it in a box, in a religious box. And you're like defining it via these, these various dogmas, these various stories that are being told and like, and how, and like how you believe and how you think and try to systemize it, which is like, I think great and a totally understandable goal. But then when you take that and then you put that in politics, you're taking something you've already put in the box and you're putting it in another box. Yeah. Another box. Um, and one of the things I think when you see candidates who do this well is they kind of cut through all of that and they talk about um, what is what is the I mean Obama did this really well, right? Like the the, the Obama organizing model is something that is was talked about a lot when he was in office. It's a lot who <laughs> currently work in politics like grew up talking about it just like kind of that old school community organizing of what's the narrative you're telling people to get them on board and it cut through yeah. everything it cut through it would cut through the the boxes of politics and the boxes of religion to get to what you're trying to do anyway which is find that connection with the community and to make it better in real so everyone's striving for i was gonna say and in speaking of obama's organizing strategy in that process, shout out for the real political nerds to Paul Wellstone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, <laughs> the, yeah, the folks like going back and forth to Wellstone, Alinsky, like, you know, there's a whole, I said Alinsky, which means I'm not going to get a bunch of, like, random tweets uh, accusing me of stuff. But, uh, like, you know, it's a form of organizing that's existed for a while and it's existed for a reason. I mean, uh, Minnesotans, they know it. They love it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, like, when you can... When you can cut through that in the different boxes that each kind of uh, that religion and politics bring, when you cut through that and connect to like why you're actually doing this, I think that's when you really see people get inspired. Um, and that's what people want to be hearing in one context or the other. Hey, it's Ashley. 
we're going to take a quick break. Drew and I have covered a lot of ground that you probably need a moment to digest. So while you give your brain a moment to relax, I wanted to tell you about a hilarious podcast that discusses life and movies. 28 Days Later is hosted by my friend Sophie and her sister Hannah. They talk brunch, childhood crushes, family dynamics, and, of course, movies. In their latest episode, they discuss the 1999 Disney Channel original movie, Don't Look Under the Bed. You can find 28 Days Later on all the major podcasting apps and on Twitter at the number 28 days lady underscore er. Check them out and I promise you'll have a good laugh while we're all social distancing. And I promise it'll feel like you're getting to know two new friends. I'm going to take us to a place that needs to be discussed. And before we dive into this, I should possibly point out that both Drew and I are very white. (laughs) Race and religion as it relates to democratic politics. Because especially during this primary, you keep hearing about, well, Biden brings out, you know, the African-American vote and Bernie is bringing out, you know, parts of the Latino vote. And I think one of the things, you know, obviously anyone out there who can speak to their own experience in this regard, please, please let me know. But from my experience in studying religion in the United States and studying religion amongst minority populations... Is that what you were just describing with regards to like the organizational strategy of how do you break down those boxes and how do you kind of merge your your belief in a common good, your belief in humanity, what you want for your world into your politics is something that has been very present in minority religion from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And so how much is that also that strategy... And kind of that language that breaks down the walls between religion, the religion box, and the politics box. Something that is necessary to appeal to the democratic base that's people of color. Sorry, I'm pausing long because you do me a favor. Can you just restate the question? My, my question is getting at like this idea of, even even I would say, even amongst the people of color who identify as unaffiliated. Mm-hmm. Religion is still so culturally embedded in community life yeah. or family life. And that the breaking down between the lines of religion and political boxes seems to me, from my studying, to just be a part of religious life for people of mm-hmm. color. And so, how much is the organizational strategy that you were talking about what is necessary? to mobilize those votes for the Democratic Party. Yeah. Um, I think when you're talking about communities of color, uh, one of one of the things like I think we need to people need to do not just like partially like us as the broader Democratic Party, but also just as people who are running as individuals um, need to do is you need to establish your credibility within that community. You need to make a case for that community to support you. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can't just take it for granted. Uh, It can't just be be an appeasement to get votes and then you forget it. Yeah. Yeah. 
like I mean there is you have to you have to acknowledge like those communities what those communities go 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 through and just like the differences from your your daily life um and I think what and so it's like yeah religion is important in those communities um but there's a difference between showing up at the church, shaking some hands and leaving, mm-hmm. you know, and showing up at the church and realize, recognizing it as a community center where these folks gather and talk about issues. Yeah. And having conversations about, like, what affects them and, like, what you want to be doing to help them. Yeah, exactly. Um, and learning that skill. So, like, I, I do think it comes into play, but also I think... um it just comes into play so much broader than just playing the religion angle in the way that it's usually talked about in kind of uh, in relationship to politics and kind of like that, that punditry mm-hmm. perspective of like talking about religion. Um, and I think people that are looking for more, more now than ever is authenticity mm-hmm. in a candidate and like the candidate is being true to themselves. And when they're talking like you don't, you, you do feel a connection. Um, and I think people misunderstand what that means a lot of the time. Because a lot of the times people, I think, take that as just strictly charisma. Yeah. And strictly, oh, he, they had a folksy, folksy tone and, like, that sounded great and it just made me really believe in that. Like, no, what it actually means is, like, somebody who went in and did the work mm-hmm. um, to connect with that community and to connect with people on these issues and was able to tell their story in a way that relates to it. So it's like partially charisma, but there's also a lot of work that goes into like, it's more than just that. It's more than just getting to that point. I would, so, say, I would say it's revealing, it's like revealing your humanity, but not revealing your humanity to like use your personal story as a stump speech. It's revealing your humanity so that people know you understand where they're coming from. Yeah. I think, I think it's a great way to put it. Because, I mean, like, you always know those stories of, like, every candidate has that personal narrative that they share. And I I remember, like, I roll my eyes during debates. I'm like, oh, here we go again. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, like, like, part of that is, like, definitely necessary and, like, you need to be disciplined in, like, your message and what you're getting out. But also, you need to have those, like, human moments where you connect with people, which is what I think people see um, just kind of, like, looking down the the lineup of candidates that the Democrats had running for president this year is everyone I think who has done well has been able to show that humanity. Mm-hmm. Like Joe Biden has a long history of being able to show that humanity. Bernie is giving a voice to uh, people who want like a very specific form of humanity that people want to like move towards. Um, Elizabeth Warren, I think really tapped into that as well um where she was able to marry uh kind of like that policy wonky nerdiness also with um these stories about how it actually affects people and how it actually affected her and like so like like the candidates who who did this well do this really well Mm -hmm. and then i think when there's that disconnect it's because they weren't able to connect on like one of those two levels yeah so speaking about elections let's think about previous candidates Mm -hmm. you know we've already talked about obama and how he did a really good job of kind of breaking down the barriers between the two boxes and i i would say like that actually 
in part was part of who he was, but I would also say it was kind of forced on him, too. Thinking about how he had to, you know, overemphasize his Christian identity because of all of the birther Muslim scandals like a, not scandal because it, it was it was outright lies and accusations that you know but like having being forced into that position of defending his own christianity and then when he then had to separate himself from his own congregation because of racial politics yeah and, and I, th- I think that's something i think you and i have said it a little bit but just like really put a fine point on it a lot of times I feel like religion and politics is ways to have coded conversations about uh, race and politics. Definitely, yep. Um, and I think with Obama, I think we saw that laid bare for all the reasons you just stated very, very well. Um, and it's definitely, I mean, this is like probably like not surprising to anybody who's studied religion or spent a lot of time in religion like a lot of the conversations you have are conversations that are being had about race about class um you know about other social structures uh and so like that's that's something like also i think is just really interesting when we like when we talk about god and politics actually what we're talking about most of the time is like race whiteness and politics yep. blackness <laughs> and politics you know being latinx and politics it's like it's like it's more about that than it is actually like let's have let's go have a debate about um specific specific scriptures or specific belief systems or anything like that it's more about let's let's actually talk about like the race aspects the question or kind of like a quick conversation i want to have to wrap this up is to religion or not to religion to put it in faux shakespearean terms (laughs) but like how can you bring religion into your campaign in a way that's authentic and breaks down those boxes and isn't uh, seeming as if, like, you're trying to replace what the Republicans offer in that regard? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if there's, like, a good answer to this. Oh, hell, of course not. Fair. I'm not asking you an easy question. Right. Uh, um, I think it's so specific to who you are as an individual when you decide to run for office or just get involved in politics at every level. Um, It comes down to, like, why why are you doing what you are doing? Um, And what's your, what is your path forward? Which arguably you could say is, like, the question that religion asks you and the the question that politics asks you um and finding ways to connect what you're doing with the community and like why you're striving to be make this a better place like you, you could you could say politics is the way of like how oh, i'm going to do this like mm-hmm. i'm going to fix roads i'm going to fund education and expand Medicaid. like you know something like that yeah and, the, the, the religion aspect of it can be what is your motivation for doing so um and but I, I but I think in each each instance like why what is your personal motivation to do that and then how does that tie into your faith um has to come from a really authentic place mm-hmm. 
And I sometimes, like, I, I don't think you need to be worried about this every day. Uh, but it's really like, you should be able to articulate why you believe what you believe, which is what you should be doing anyway if you are running. Because it's belief is not just about religion. It's what other yeah. ideology motivating factors play into yeah. your policy. And so, like, why do you believe what do you believe and, like, how are things feeding that? And if that's coming through a totally authentic place and you are reflecting the community that you are working to represent, like, that will resonate. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think it's, like, religion or not to religion. I think it's being authentic to why you're doing what you're doing. Um, and I do think there is, people are more and more understanding that religion does not have, religion does not mean morality, does not mean, right, yeah. uh, it does not mean if you're a good or a bad person. Um, and so just being able to explain why you're there. And if part of that is your religion, um, as part of that is like your faith upbringing, uh, cool, make that argument, like. Talk about how that's conformed the policies that you want to promote. Yeah. If, it, if it's something else, like, you know, don't make that argument. Uh, and again, like, like, when you see a lot of people writing about, talking about the, the, like, the, the religious vote, the religious left, or the religious right, like, and, like, what Democrats should do to win these people over, you're really having a conversation about race most of the time. Yeah. Or, or other issues. And again, like, religion and politics focus both on your our reactions to things so it's not i don't think it's an either or and there's a there's an easy way to marry those and like those happen very um successfully for a long time but uh how things have kind of developed it's talking about a very very specific type of religion and politics yeah uh, that is people view I would argue rightfully so, but also the Democrat, uh, you know, the religious right and like a corruption of that, um, of, of what politics should be and what relig- like religion and Christianity should be. Which plays into part of my dissertation. <laughs> well, thank you, Drew. Uh, I, thanks for having me on. This was fun. Awesome. Before we ended our call, I asked Drew if he was reading anything he wanted to add to the religionish book corner, or if he had a religion nerd moment. This is what he had to say. What are you reading right now that you're really excited about? Um, wait, oh god, this is such a nerdy answer. Um, That's the point! <laughs> but actually, what I'm, what I'm reading right now is... Your, your listeners would be like, are you sure this guy's into religion and politics? Um, I'm reading a book called Amaro, which is about uh, um, Amaro's across the world. It has some recipes for Amaro-based cocktails. <laughs> um, but, but it really goes into the history of Amaro's, and like, which is super interesting because a lot of them are like family-owned mm-hmm. in... In Italy, they don't reveal, like, the recipes. So it kind of dives into, like, how these things develop, which, I, which is hey, uh, pretty interesting. We can be multifaceted people. We can, like, religion and yeah. politics and other things. And other things. <laughs> You're a nerd. A nerd. You're a nerd. Yeah. Um, so, actually, I was listening recently to... Um, a 
podcast uh, where folks were talking about just liberation theology and like defining it through like it was partly like history like here's how liberation theology um, developed and then looking at it through a modern perspective of like how does this relate to the world we're in now um, it was really funny it was a Raphael and Don Golden uh, who wrote a book together about this. What podcast was it? I want to listen to it. It, it was it was Rob Bell's podcast called The Robcast, um, which Rob Yell Rob Rob Bell holds a special place in my heart. Um, Every time I hear the name Rob Bell, I'm like Drew. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, so he and Don Golden wrote a book uh, years ago at this point, kind of about kind of about uh, liberation theology, which uh, is how developed and uh they did a podcast recently kind of rehashing that book and just talking about it in context of modern society uh, which was a which was a fun listen that wraps up our show thanks for listening to religionish your nerdy podcast about how religion impacts society if you enjoyed this show please write us a review on apple podcasts or wherever you listen to religionish this podcast is a solo project of love by me. Your reviews really help the show reach more people. You can find this episode's show notes at religionish.com, and you can reach out to Religionish on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook just by searching Religionish Podcast. That's religion with I-S-H at the end. As always, this show was written, produced, hosted, and edited by me, Ashley Campbell. Our intro music was performed by Joe Nicola and Daniel Paulhammer. And I think you may have gotten a cameo or two from Puck the Cat and Raven the Dog. Have a great weekend, religion nerds. <laughs>